So there were the shepherds. And they were considered by many to be worthless. They did the worst kind of job, physical and ceremonially unclean. And the shepherds would have been the absolute last people who would have been included at a church function. They were worthless. But despite this reality, I think it's interesting to notice something about these shepherds. You see, the shepherds are the first group of people to whom God speaks about the news of the birth of his son. And more than anything, I think that speaks to God's character. You see, I think that speaks to God's character, to the people he considered important, to the people he considered close, and to the people he considered special. Just think of the first person you talk to when you have big news. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. My name is Kelly Lynn, and I am a part of this Praxis family here as one of the leaders, and I am going to share my testimony today. Sharing testimonies are some of the most beautiful parts of, I believe, of being a Christian, because you truly get to experience and to hear how God has changed in each individual's lives, how the Holy Spirit has truly moved. And sometimes we don't really get the opportunity to share that when we are around friends or if we're just at praxis. And so I'm asking for you to just listen and hopefully it's okay for me to just share some of my vulnerabilities with you tonight. 2020 was a really hard year for all of us. I think we can all agree on that. And especially in my walk and in my own journey, because I had gotten rejected from medical school. And it was something that I had been working on for so incredibly long. And I had trusted that God had called me into medicine. So when I got the, when I got the email that said that, sorry, we cannot accept you, I was very, very broken. And I recognized that I had to give myself some time to mourn. So as I was mourning, 2020, as we know, we are all in a pandemic, and we still are. And during that time, I allowed myself to feel the pains of sorrow, of grieving. At the same time, Black Lives Matter demonstrations were happening across the United States. Um, Our brothers and sisters were hurting from the social justice movement. And that hurt me as well. And there were a lot of times in 2020 where I just felt like I couldn't get out of bed. And I was just really feeling the sorrows of the world. Fast forward to a few months later, um, I realized that sometimes when things in life don't necessarily work out the way that we think it, it will, it's let me to open up room for God to grow in my, in my walk and in my journey. And I realized that a lot of times in society, 
We almost build our careers, our jobs, our successes, and create that as our identity. We wrap that around ourselves as if that was what God created us to be. When in fact, God created us to be more than that. God has created us a new identity in him. So I realized that feeling out of my career helped me to recognize that it wasn't a dead end, but it was a redirection. And while I was mourning with my fellow brothers and sisters, I was healing my own heart at the same time. I listened to this amazing sermon by Christine Kane. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of her. But she talked about how Paul was on his way to Rome. And he crashed upon an island called Malta. Malta was nowhere on the map back in the day. In fact, no one had known where they were. So when they had crashed on this island, they didn't know where on the map they were. And it, was, it spoke so closely to my life, where in my life, where I was in my life at that time was not anywhere in the map of where my career or my journey I had thought I would be in. And what was beautiful is if you continue to read in Acts, instead of Paul saying, why am I here? How did I end up in this place? Paul continues to serve the people of Malta. And so when I read that, or when I heard that, I recognized I have so much potential to continue to serve in my own community. So I learned how to sew. I created a small Etsy shop. And I started sewing masks so that I could donate them to the homeless and also to sell them to my friends and family and make some money off of my friends and family. But really, it was so freeing to see that I had so much potential elsewhere. That my, identity did not, that, that my identity did not survive just because of what I was doing in my worldly career. Fast forward to January of this year, and I started helping out with life groups. Anyone here in a life group? I think I see, yes, a few of my life group people are here. And I started helping out with directing life groups. I wanted to serve in my community somehow, and so I came to Praxis, and I wanted to serve in praxis in the life group ministry. And through that, it opened up so many doors for community, for friends, for a time where I could use the gifts that I naturally had to organize and to commune and to enjoy each other's presence. And I know that the pandemic has made us a lot more introverted. I know for me, I'm an extrovert. So it made me a little bit more introverted. And I realized that the gifts that God has given me the, the identity that God has given me was who I was truly. When people would meet me at Praxis, they would ask me, like, what are you doing here? Are you working? Are you going to school? And I would say nothing. <laughs> I don't do anything. My, my identity doesn't lie in what, and I, what I do. And so very rarely will you see me asking people, what are you doing here? And so I like knowing, like, oh, where, did you, where do you live right now? What are things that you love doing? I realized that from being purposeless in that time of 2020, of mourning in that time, I could serve. I've allowed to forgive myself. I've allowed myself to let go of the things that I originally thought were important. And in that place, I place God first and foremost. I've learned to leave room for God to grow me and to guide me. And throughout the past few months, as I've been serving my community, Pastor Phil approached me, and he said, hey, I think I have a really great opportunity for you. And so two weeks ago, I started as the new pastoral ministry assistant here at Loma Linda University Church, and now I am on my way to joining seminary next year to 
continue my walk to become a pastor. And <laughs> thank you, very excited. And that is just to say that that, is, again, is not my identity. My identity does not lie in the fact that I want to go into pastoral ministries, but in fact that God continues to grow me and to guide me. So my question for you is, where does your identity lie? Thank you. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I have looked around and I have felt very, very small and very unimportant. I think as we make our way through our lives, that's something that many of us are familiar with in one way or another. Of course, you got your family and your friends, the people who know you and recognize you. But on occasion, there's a moment that just reminds me of my own minuscule mortality, if you will. A number of years ago, I started college at Walla Walla University, and I remember going up there with big expectations, a lot of excitement. I was moving out of the house, going to college. It was going to be a good time. Well, as is true with many things probably, nothing is ever quite the way you expected, at least not at first. So for high school, I went here to Loma Linda Academy, which is a fairly large academy by Adventist standards, at least. But the truth was that despite that reality, I could probably still put a face or an, and a name together for almost everyone in my class. It was still small enough to the uh, so you really knew everybody, or at least knew who everyone was. Well, that wasn't true at Walla Walla. I got up there kind of a week early. You know, they do this thing called Jumpstart where people, the freshmen and the transfer students get there early and everyone kind of hangs out, has a good time, plays like icebreaker games and does all that good stuff. Well, the schedule was such that every morning we were supposed to attend kind of a general assembly and we're supposed to be there at 8 and everyone would be there. They'd do worship, they'd give announcements and do those types of things. And so naturally, day one rolled around, Monday, and we're supposed to be there at 8, so I got there at like 8.07, and I looked around in this fairly large auditorium, and I saw a lot of faces I did not know. But I made my way upstairs to the balcony, found the one or two people that I knew, went, I sat up there, sat down, kind of settled in, looked around at the many, many people who were in there, and I thought, I don't matter. There are so many people here. I am just another face in the crowd. And as I thought about that, I thought, yeah, you know, a lot of these people probably feel the same way. I don't know if you know what that's like, but it happens to me on occasion. It probably happens to many of you. Well, time went on, and I got to know many people, and it was really a good time. I enjoyed my time up there. But as I think about Walla Walla, I can actually recall another moment, another particular time where I felt very small and very unimportant. There, I'd made a good friend who was a little older than me and my group of friends who kind of befriended us and been really nice to us. And he reached out to me and a few of my other friends one day and said, hey, listen, there's this luncheon thing going on at the Marcus Whitman, which is like the nicest hotel in Walla Walla. And it's pretty nice. And he was like, you guys should come out. You're going to have to dress up. 
can come out. There are some tables we've got, and it'll be a good time. He said, you see, the luncheon is being put on for Kathy McMorris Rogers. And for those of you who do not recognize that name, she is the U.S. representative for Washington's 5th uh, Congressional District. And she is, I don't know if she currently is, but at one point she was probably the most powerful Republican woman in the House. And I had no idea who she was, of course, but I was like, hey, free food, you know, can't hurt. So I went to my dorm room, put on like a suit and a tie, and, you know, we like drove over there and got to this luncheon. And they have outside of the conference room like tables where you get like a name tag. So I went out there, put a name tag on, walked into this room, and I was immediately like, what am I doing here? Why am I at this luncheon for a U.S. representative and everyone else who's here is like really matters? These are people with like a lot of money or they're very important in this like state congressional district. And for, you know, Kathy McMorris Rogers, she's talking to these people, trying to get them to donate money to her campaign and so on and so forth. And then there's me and, like, three other, like, random college guys. And I just was like, wow, I don't matter right now. Why am I here? So I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I feel that. You know what that's like? You ever feel small, unimportant, perhaps like you don't matter? You don't quite fit. You're at a place where you just feel insignificant. And the truth is, many of us have felt that way at some point of our lives or another. And now we're here in the holiday season. Thanksgiving has just passed. Christmas is quickly approaching. And you're here in the midst of all the celebration and the family and the friends, the food and the gifts and everything we do for the Thanksgiving and Christmas and holiday season. And sometimes I think it can be a little easy to feel a bit unimportant. But the truth is, if that is you today, you, my friends, are not alone. In fact, if you look around, if you look to your left or to your right or behind you or in front of you, the likelihood is that you will encounter someone else who feels very similarly to you. We've come here today, and maybe you feel that way. But the thing is, we're going to read about some people, some people maybe who felt the same or very similarly. So I'd invite you to open with me. We're going to open to the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to come across some people in that period of time, perhaps, who felt that way. Some people who might have felt small or insignificant or unimportant or like they did not matter. Of course, if you're familiar, this is the Advent story. So we're going to read beginning in Luke chapter 2 with verse 1. Luke writes, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So here we are. Mary and Joseph have traveled many, many miles to get to Bethlehem. And I know if you've watched any Christmas movies or read any Christmas books or seen really any media associated with the Judeo-Christian story of Christmas, you think of like Joseph walking along holding a donkey while Mary, his very pregnant wife, is sitting on it and they're making their way to Bethlehem. But that's actually probably not how it was. They probably both walked. They would have been exceptionally poor. They would not have had money for animals. In fact, they get to Bethlehem. There is nowhere for them to stay. So they go knocking on doors and trying to find somewhere to go, and they can't find anything. But finally, they're given a place. And when we think about it again, we kind of see the media or the photos or the renditions that we have today. And we think of Mary and Joseph in a stable or in a cave somewhere, right? And then you've got like camels on one side and a donkey on the other side and chickens and whatever else you have there. But again, that's probably not quite how it was. In fact, during that period of time, if they were actually staying with the animals, what would have happened is they would have knocked on a door and some kind person, stranger or friend or whomever, the text doesn't specify, would have said, okay, I've got some room, but you're going to have to stay with the animals. But the truth is the animals probably would have just been downstairs in the house. And the rest of the family, the friends, the guests would have been upstairs because not a lot of people have like a ton of money to store their animals and so forth in a cave. So Think of like a family or a bunch of people upstairs, Mary, Joseph, and soon-to-be Jesus are downstairs just with the animals in the house. So it would have been very cramped, probably pretty uncomfortable, not the type of place where you want to be giving birth. But there they are. They're there, and of course Jesus comes, and Mary is resting, and the baby has been born, but unbeknownst to them, to her, to Joseph, or to anybody, God has been busy during this period of time. You see, somewhere on a hill on a pasture not too far, there are shepherds. They're out there caring for their flocks. It's their livelihood. It's what they do to make money. And they're sitting there waiting on a night like any other, but suddenly it becomes a night that will go down in history that millions, billions of people will read about. And we don't actually know their names. But in this story, it is these minor characters who are going to play a major role. So today we encounter the shepherds. We're in the first of a four-part series. We are going to be looking at different characters in the story of the birth of Jesus. So the first character or set of characters we're going to look at is the shepherds. Who are they? What do they do? What's the point? Why are they important? But that's what we're looking at today. So we will return to the text, and we're going to continue reading there in Luke chapter 2, this time starting with verse 8. So Luke writes, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, the shepherds are an interesting bunch here. They're not really a special group of people at least not in the way we would typically consider people to be special. You see, there in the ancient world, they would have been kind of at the back end of society. First of all, they were dirty. If you know anyone who spends a lot of time around animals, anyone on a farm, or if you yourself have ever been on a farm, you know it is easy to get dirty and tough to stay clean when you're taking care of a bunch of animals. And that's the shepherds. They're out there in the pastures with the sheep, just taking care of them day in, day out, week after week, month after month, year after year. So they are just physically dirty people. But secondly, they are also ritually or ceremonially dirty people. You see, when you spend that much time around animals and they need as much care as sheep need, it was not really possible for the shepherds to ever get ritually or ceremonially clean to celebrate any of the things the temple would have celebrated. So they would have been certainly looked down upon by the more orthodox at that period of time. And of course, shepherds are necessary, right? You can't just let sheep run around on their own and do what they will because sheep are not smart creatures. They need someone to take care of them. So the shepherds are there because they have to be. But even then, they're kind of on the low end or the back end of society. They needed care, so there were the shepherds. And they were considered by many to be worthless. They did the worst kind of job, physical and ceremonially unclean. And the shepherds would have been the absolute last people who would have been included at a church function. They were worthless. They were small, they were unimportant, they did not matter. But despite this reality, I think it's interesting to notice something about these shepherds. You see, the shepherds are the first group of people to whom God speaks about the news of the birth of his son. And more than anything, I think that speaks to God's character. You see, I think that speaks to God's character, to the people he considered important, to the people he considered close, and to the people he considered special. Just think of the first person you talk to when you have big news. Maybe you got a new job, or you got into you know, school somewhere, or you got engaged, or you got a promotion, or something big happened in your life. Who do you talk to first? Or maybe even big you know, world events that make a big difference to us? Who do you talk to when there is a new president or a major world catastrophe or when things happen in the news? Who are the people you talk to? Who are the people you want to deliver news to? You want to hear their opinions, thoughts, ideas? It's the people, of course, who are important to you in your life. Maybe parents, siblings, partners, significant others, whoever they might be, the people you always deliver news to first are the people who, of course 
are the important ones in your life. That is just how we function. And so what does God do here? He tells the shepherds first. The least of these about one of the biggest events to have ever happened on this earth. He tells the shepherds first. Now, I know our worth is often associated with the things we bring to the table, but that's not really the case when it comes to God. You see, our worth to God is associated with who we are, not what we do or what we bring. The following story was written by Carlene Matson about her handicapped son in a Focus on the Family website article. She writes the following. The greatest obstacle to being handicapped or challenged or disabled or whatever label we may be using this year is not the condition, but the stigma society still associates with it. The truth is we are valuable because of who we are, not because of how we look or what we accomplish. And that applies to all of us the disabled and the temporarily able-bodied alike. I'm convinced that God did not turn his back at the moment of Jeff's conception. He is still the God of miracles, but in this instance, the one who received healing was me. Our Lord is still in the business of changing lives, but not always in the ways we expect. Several years ago, Jeff played in a little league for kids with disabilities. After many seasons of watching from the bleachers and rooting while his big brother played ball, Jeff's opportunity finally arrived. When he received his uniform, he could not wait to get home to put it on. When he raced out from his bedroom, fully suited up, he announced to me, Mom, now I'm a real boy. Though his words pushed my heart to my throat, I assured him he had always been a real boy. And you see, we're surrounded by these people every day. People who are considered less than, despite their priceless worth in God's eyes. Just look around. Again, to your left, to your right, or behind you, or in front of you. You will constantly find someone or some people who are shunned by society. The drug addict who cannot stop but go back to the needle or to the pipe or to whatever it might be. He is a shepherd. He might feel like he doesn't matter, he doesn't belong, especially at a place like this, at a church with people who have their lives put together. He should be far, far away from church. Or at least that's what the demons in his mind might tell him. He should be alone. He should be abandoned. He is worthless. And then Christmas comes. The holiday season comes, the time where everyone is together, and doubtless he feels, oh, so alone. But the heavens open and the heavenly host sings and says, listen, you, my friend, are priceless. Or maybe there's a person who just got let go, let go out of a job. She is a shepherd. The boss just dropped by yesterday and said, your desk needs to be cleaned out by five o'clock today. She feels defeated. She can't hold a job. How is she going to feed the kids? How is she going to pay rent? How is she going to pay for gas to drive to other interviews? Everything is just so expensive when you don't have a job. She knows she won't be able to hang on for long. And then Christmas. The kids are going to expect gifts. We might need to travel. She has no idea how she's going to make it through this season. But as it rolls through, the heavens open and the host sings and says, you 
are priceless. Or perhaps the situation is altogether different. And someone who has just walked out, walked out after being on the wrong side of the gates of a prison for the last 30 years. For better or for worse, prison will change somebody. But what does that matter? That person thinks everyone out here will assume the worst anyway. I am worthless to society that has moved on since long before I got out of there. Everything is modernized. It'll be hard for me to find a job. I won't be able to buy a house. I won't be able to save. It'll be a tough, tough journey. And then there's Christmas. That season that is so wonderful for those who have family and friends and so, so difficult for those who don't. But the season is here and the heavens open and the host sings, you are priceless. You see, these are the types of people to whom God spoke with first when his son was born in Bethlehem. The ones sitting out there in the fields at night doing, just taking care of the sheep, none of the rest of the world would think twice about them. But to them, God says, you, my friends, have great value. See, one of the more formative figures in the study of sociology in America was a man by the name of Charles Horton Cooley. And Cooley developed what has been referred to as the looking glass self-concept. Simply stated, it is this. The way we think of ourselves is a reflection of what we think the most important people in our lives think of us. So perhaps you struggle with low self-image or feelings of inadequacy or you feel small and unimportant and useless. But the truth is, that is not the way God looks at you or at me. He sees something entirely different. He sees you for who you actually are, not the way other people perceive you. He sees you as a priceless individual with tremendous value. And he sees you as the person who is fit to share the news of the coming of his son. In Under His Wing, Bernie May tells a story of an airline captain. And this airline captain who flies overseas routes also ran a small uh, gas station near his home. And between trips to Europe and the Middle East and wherever else, he gets a kick out of changing plugs and points and talking to folks while he's pumping their gas. So one Saturday morning, this pilot, dressed in his greasy overalls, walked down to the local hardware store to pick up a wrench. What's new? The store owner asked as he rang up the purchase. Ooh, I'm thinking about taking a run to Cairo this month, the captain said. I enjoy flying to London and Frankfurt, but I think the change of pace will do me good. He paid for the wrench, and he left. Another customer who was behind him was curious and asked, who's the world traveler? Rolling his eyes, the store owner nodded towards the departing pump jockey, some nut who runs the gas station down the street. He thinks he's an airline pilot. And both men got a good laugh out of that one. But the truth is God sees every part of you. He sees the parts of you that might seem small and insignificant, and he sees the parts of you that make great accomplishments and do big things. So maybe today you came in here and you felt less than. 
you felt small and unimportant, and you walked into church, and we were getting close to Christmas, a time of great celebration and joy and happiness. But that's just not the way you feel. You came in here feeling worthless. But the Lord above looks down upon you, and he sees someone to whom he wants to deliver the news. You, my friend, are a priceless part of his kingdom. You matter. Even though you may feel insignificant, unimportant, out of place, less than, or just small. But today, as we near that Christmas season, as the celebrations begin, we, my friends and family, are the people to whom God delivered the news of his greatest triumph because a son is born and a savior is given. Jesus is here. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.